Welcome to Matinee with Matt, the ultimate rendezvous for all things entertainment. My name is Matt Kreeth, a film critic, and I'm joined weekly by my husband, Michael. Not so much a film critic. So grab your popcorn as we dive headfirst into the world of movies, TV shows, books, and beyond. Well, welcome everybody to a new episode of Matinee with Matt, a special episode of Matinee with Matt, because for the very first time on this podcast, we have special guests that are actually well, working in the industry. Yes. yes. I was like, we did already have a special guest with Gabby, but <laughs> yes. and, this, we, and we love um, you, Gabby, but yes. this is a real guest of strangers. <laughs> a real we don't guest know. who actually gets paid to yeah. work in the entertainment world and... Uh, we are very privileged to be joined by director Melinda Merker and producer David Clayton Miller for this episode of Matinee with Matt. We get to interview them. They are the directing and producing duo of We Live Here, the Midwest, that is currently streaming on Hulu. Out on Hulu right now. Yeah. It was a very fun chat. I had a lot of fun talking to them. They, they were great. For a very difficult subject matter, it was a very entertaining conversation. conversation. Yeah. yeah. And for my very first interview of <laughs> somebody in the industry, yeah. yeah, they were really easy to talk to, very knowledgeable about their subject, mm-hmm. which obviously they're storytellers and filmmakers, yep. and so they did know uh, what they were doing. And so it was a really enjoyable time getting to talk to both of them about the film. But why don't you share a little bit with uh, our audience on what this film is about yeah so uh, it is called we live here the midwest it highlights uh, a lot of different couples within the heartland of america that identify as part of the lgbtq plus community we get to see a lot of different families that live in iowa nebraska ohio kansas and minnesota and david and melinda profile a lot of these couples their experiences Uh, living in the Midwest, uh, mostly rural communities uh, within their states, and kind of how they're embraced and some not embraced uh, within those communities. And we just get to learn about their stories, which is really important. It does a really good job of showcasing the variety of experiences that these couples and families are going through. Mm -hmm. So it's not just really one size fits all that they dissect, which I appreciate. And also, like I, even though it is set as a a doc, I mean, you categorize it as a documentary, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely storytelling, but totally. it is a documentary. And yeah. that's like that's what I was going to get at. Is it, it didn't feel really preachy about one particular issue or the other. Uh, it's more so kind of just like you know peeking into the lives of these people and just showcasing their experience. It's not, of course, they talk about some of the issues that come up and David does a great job of telling us a bit more about how like the reality of legislature that's impacting mm-hmm. these, in these groups of people, but it is peek into their world and oh, seeing what the, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. They, let, they take you in. It's like some of the stories have resolution, some mm-hmm. don't. And yep. it's just, I mean, it's not necessary that there is a, you know, happy ending and resolution there. It's, it's real. It's yep. the honesty of like, Hey, you stopped by, let me tell you about what's going on. And then we go on to the next family and you just see more and more of a variety of the experiences, which what I probably appreciated the most. Cause I think while I can't relate to every single family that is showcased, I think I can relate to bits and pieces that each family kind of brings to the table. So it was cool. 
Yeah, for sure. And and Melinda kind of when we when we talked to them, she kind of drove home the points of that you know gay families have family values as well. There's a, a lot of talk about religion in this documentary about um, losing faith, some still having faith, uh, even though they are in getting kicked um, out of their getting church. kicked out of their that churches, so which is sad. incredibly sad. Uh, so it's a very interesting discussion that we had with them. And I think I was the most angry about that. Sorry. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I for sure. And that's like the first couple yeah, that's, first in, couple that's profiled in the documentary. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, now I'm getting worked up again. That's okay. Uh, well, for those that aren't worked up yet, uh, please to enjoy our interview with Melinda Merker and David Clayton Miller. Well, thank you both uh, for joining us for an episode of Matinee with Matt. Uh, we have Melinda and David here, the directing and producing team for We Live Here in the Midwest. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thank you. Uh, we got a chance to screen the film uh, last night, so thank you very much for providing that to us. It's fantastic. Thank you. And we just kind of wanted to know, uh, you know, how did this project come to be? What's the genesis of, of We Live Here? Well, we started, uh, David and I were working together for a nonprofit on a video photography project about LGBTQ plus families. And um, pretty quickly, you know, marriage equality had passed, all of these wonderful things. People were feeling quite joyous and wanting to form their families, extend their families. And then 2016 hit, and we felt this wave of backlash, and it was intensified. So we thought, gosh, we should really see how our families are faring. And we went into the research process and found, you know, it was a scary time. It's a scarier time now. Yeah. Go ahead, David. Well, that's the one thing that we didn't know then that we know now is how the backlash has grown. There was a lot of excitement with the gay marriage and then the backlash happened. And then we had a president that was, you know, speaking out of, you know, just whatever he wanted to say, embarrassing people. And then, you know, this year alone, there was over 400 anti-gay and anti-trans uh, bills introduced into legislation. And to me, even more shocking is, you know, the, the number three most powerful individual in government holds these antagonistic and discriminatory views about the very people featured in our film. So, Mike you know, Johnson. We're, we're, I, yeah, Mike Johnson. I mean, I, I think we're in really perilous times and I, I'm astounded that we've gotten to this point considering just eight years ago, there was such jubilance, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there, there's a Supreme Court justice that has, uh, uh, has spoken out against marriage equality and thinks it should be reversed. So, you know, the timing of the release of this documentary uh, really comes at a pivotal time. When was the, when did the filming take place? We shot it early uh, last year and a lot has happened a year and a half. It, I mean, totally. Um, it is, I almost feel like something's happening every day. I think you may have said like that earlier. It's like, it's just what now on the news ticker. You were able to really capture the sentiment that you had mentioned earlier where gay marriage um, was passed and was legalized. And then there was all this, ex there was excitement and buzz leading back. I mean, Matt and I, my, ourselves as well, we were, you know, talking about this and it's very exciting. And then came that backlash immediately. And then the jokes. And then like, again, I think there was one where you know, how expensive, like gay divorces are going to be the most expensive divorces like ever. And it's just like it, that the wind totally was let out of the sail so quickly there. And your film does highlight the, the that folks going through that experience 
um, which is so real to everybody, I believe. So you mentioned that you guys were working together on a nonprofit, and that's how, and then is that how I can assume how you found these uh, couples and these families to to continue following Not through? Or at no? all. When we decided to, well, first of all, we decided to focus on the Midwest initially, and that was because it's the heartland of American family values. You know, I recently read that Lawrence, Kansas, is the exact middle of the United States. <laughs> I didn't know that, and I'm like, wow. But, you know, the right has co-opted the term family values, and we wanted to bring it back and say, what does that really look like? And many, most family values are, are, you know, lovely. Be kind to your neighbor. Be aware. So the irony of taking those values and excluding a group of people we wanted to examine, it's a painful irony. And that was why we chose that. Yeah. Gay people have family values too, you know, so. Yeah, it's interesting that people weaponize it to a degree of slapping gender or sexual orientation onto family. Like family values is a common denominator across any of those variables that sit at top. And like, it's just, it's just so sad that people don't see it that way. So how, how did you find, did you just start cold calling folks? Like, how did you find these families to, to represent? It was a complicated process and a long process. Um, we did all sorts of we went down all sorts of avenues, social media, finding groups on Facebook that were about LGBTQ families in the Midwest or people in the Midwest, other organizations, friends of friends, that sort of thing. Um, but many of the people whom we contacted were not comfortable having their stories shared on camera. They feared recrimination, specifically in, in the jobs area, because, you know, that's their livelihood. And it made sense, which is why we always talk about our families, first and foremost, as courageous, and then second, mm -hmm. as LGBTQ+. Yeah. And in fact, we were on the road filming families and we were all set to go to Wisconsin. And uh, the day before we were supposed to go, the family backed out. They just, they got cold feet at the last minute there. And so there was a mad scramble and we're changing schedules and flights and all those things. We obviously, you know, managed to find somebody else, but uh, it was, it was rough. I think courageous is absolutely like spot on the right word because there was a part or a, a, a statement in the movie around like, I think it was Iowa nice. And you are asking these folks to essentially, you know, we're hanging up the laundry to dry in the front yard because, you know, we're going to be talking about how our neighbors are treating us and what type of looks we're getting at the grocery store, how we're being accepted and, and welcomed into the church. I did really like the story around, um, I believe it was the first couple that was interviewed around their faith and in the church because it is, that's a hot button topic as well, religion. Um, but then to also just see, oh, now you're too gay for the church. And it's like, y'all, okay. I hated seeing that for, for those folks. But I mean, just, you know, <laughs> piggybacking off of that, uh, religion seems to be kind of an undercurrent for a lot of these couples that, that you did end up interviewing. Um, some, like Michael mentioned, have been kicked out of their church that they very much loved and belonged to and, and felt a, a sense of community there. And, and now they're kind of traversing different communities within, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. But that that religion doesn't completely go away for a lot of these folks, it seems like. Um, was there kind of a, a focus on interviewing specific couples that really did have to leave their churches, uh, Christianity specifically, um, or, or, you know, that, that still felt a, a tie to God and, and that community, even though they were shunned? For, you know, lack of better words. It wasn't so much that we necessarily focused on that. We went to that region and 
examined what are the issues that people are predominantly facing. And that could be bullying at school. But in this case, you know, religion in the Midwest, like the South, is part of the culture. In this case, the evangelical church with Katie and Nia. And I think uh, to us, what was most striking is how heartbreaking it was for Katie to be expelled from the church where she was preaching, where she felt extremely close ties to the congregation. And, you know, it's heartbreaking. So again, it's like being excluded from family values, being excluded from your church. You know, these these things resonate deeply with people. That one was probably, I think that one, yeah. I was angry after I was watching. Like, I was so upset because, you know, and Katie is you know, in that moment in the movie because that was really, I mean, she really had not been asked. So that was really the first time. And so all that that you saw is just completely raw and, and so emotional and, and, you know, we really realize how important that was to them and the other families, you know, and part of our research included, you know, finding out about these families, what it is, um, you know, that, that where they can feel a sense of community. Um, and you know, I, I, I'm not a very religious person, so I was sort of very interested that these people, um, rely on that, um, to give them, uh, security. Yeah. I mean, it, it becomes, I got just growing up and it like just it comes so ingrained and like I just I feel like so much of her life like hearing her talk about it you can genuinely feel that so much of her life was essentially just like ripped away from her because they're like no you cannot participate in this anymore and I mean that's family friends I'm sure activities social calendar well, yeah. was she was all, very much a part of that she was a she wasn't just yeah. you know, in the pews she was she was leading so you mentioned that um religion was just this kind of current that came through because a, a you know where it is situated um where you found all of these families to interview um what is what was something else that while filming and interviewing and talking to these people like just you know comes to top of mind that stuck out where you were like you know how you start you start digging through something and you find something else and you're like oh that's interesting did you have any of those moments yeah i mean i didn't <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we did, but I'm tossing it beautiful to David. Yes, that's like as documentarians, that's like that just feeds us. Um, for for me, it was uh at the end with Deb and Jen in Minnesota. You know, there's so much discussion about the person that transitions and what it is that you know the torment that they've had and and how they have to deal with that and grapple with that and the process of that. But what you don't really hear, which is what Jen's daughter Michaela said so eloquently, is the people around them, there's not much dialogue of what the impact is on them. And, you know, I remember the cameras are rolling and I heard her say this and I was like, wow, yeah, you're right. You don't really hear very much news about that. Um, and then, of course, as we developed in, in their story and, and found out more, we realized like, well, you know, they're a very complex family that really had a lot of struggles and issues. And I think, you know, at the end and where they are today, you know, they are able to reconcile much of their differences and and the ex-wife is involved in 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 the life and the, and the children are involved in Jen's life and so um that was something that was a revelation for me I, I think a lot of those moments where you feel not just with Katie that emotional pain and heartbreak of losing something that was very important to you with uh, Courtney and Denise in Kansas when their son who was being bullied comes home from school and says to his moms, I don't think gay marriage is right. No, that was no sad. Imagine your your child says that to you. And it just speaks to how communities, for better or worse, pass along beliefs to children, 
how, you know, without questioning those beliefs necessarily. So I think for us, uh, one of the important goals was to subtly communicate a message about communication, you know, to the, how important it is to have these ongoing conversations. I loved the, the perspective that was provided for, again, what happens to the folks and family members of being, of, of being related to somebody that is transitioning. Um, because you're right, that isn't, that is like, I mean, in all of me, all of like, you know, media and in, the, in publications you see, it's like, oh, these big names, like who's doing and all that good stuff. But you don't ever fe- hear about that perspective. So I really did appreciate that. And then the other like nugget of information that came from the other example was when, how do we start with inclusivity with the children? And honestly, my professional career has been in hiring. And so I've like worked with organizations around demographics and, uh, and helping diversity and equity and inclusion. And it's, we have to change the, you have to change the population. Like you have to bring in new folks, a new population. And that's how you begin to shift these percentages. I, I can't believe I didn't even like resonate with the fact of if we can start with educating our children, those beliefs, those values, <laughs> that is then why it goes because you can't, I, it's, yeah, uh, you know, and, and that's why, I mean, I'm, you know, listening to Katie speak and how she parents and, you know, as we were in their house and watching her, I just thought like, wow, I wish I had a parent like Katie. She was just so cool and just so straightforward yeah. and just presented a really sort of, you know, some complex issues and, and, and presented it in a very straightforward manner that was simple for children to understand. And, you know, I wish that, you know, I mean, some schools, you can't even say the word gay in there anymore. So, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Which is why I think with Russ and Mark in Ohio, recognizing that bullying has increased in schools along with the anti-LGBTQ discriminate discriminatory legislation that you see that ripple down so you know to, to have to see children in high school bullied and abandoned greg his father doesn't speak to him anymore since he came out and the importance of mm-hmm. creating for those kids a safe space a space where they can feel heard be comfortable and form their own community and their own alternative families it's it's insane to me that somebody cannot talk to their child anymore I, I just, I, you know, and especially for being gay, I, I just, it's, it's crazy to me. It is such a, it is such a real thing in these areas. And I'm like, in the South. I mean, there was, it was touch and go for a minute in my own experience. Uh, but I'm, I'm right there with you, Matt. Something that I was thinking about while watching this movie is coming from California. I was in California living there when um, Prop 8 passed. And uh, that outlawed gay marriage in California. And it wasn't until 2015 did that actually get reversed because of the Supreme Court. But yet the next year in 2009, after California had denied gay marriage, Iowa actually, of all places, legalized same-sex marriage. And it's just such an interesting thing that, like you mentioned in 2016, yes, of course, that, that, that election did a lot of damage and we seem to be going backwards especially in, in these Midwest states that kind of embraced gay marriage uh, earlier than liberal meccas like California did. Um, outside of the Donald Trump of it all and, and the current kind of political uh, sphere that we find ourselves in, uh, a lot of people that might listen to this uh, episode may not know about uh, the certain laws that are, that are happening right now in the, med- in the Midwest and the South um, that are doing a lot of damage to this community um, can you speak a little bit about those laws and, and um, kind of in, inform um, our listeners as, as to what the what's happening right now to the gay people and trans people? I mean, let, let me just reiterate, 
over 400 anti-gay and anti-trans bills have been introduced into legislation. Mm -hmm. Not all of them passed. This year alone, the highest number ever. You know, uh, it, it, it's that's a staggering amount. You know, there, I, I don't understand the fear about it. Um, I think that I, I, I don't even think that there's enough. I, I don't think that the gay press realizes how staggering this is. You know, you're not really seeing much about it. I mean, if there ever was a time for a modern day Larry Kramer, it is now. You know, and I, 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 I don't know who's going to take that that position, but um, I think we're in very perilous times when you can't, you know, when you're banning books about showing two mommies and two daddies, uh, you can't say the word, you know, you can't discuss um, a classmate's parents because he has two mommies. We are not moving forward as a country. Yeah. Not at all. And I think too, well, I agree with David, obviously, 100%, and, and that we need to bring that sort of awareness to not just the LGBTQ plus community, but to all people. As as Nia says early in the film, you know, we're, we're not issues, we're people. And I think whatever the audience is, we often just, even if you're not against a certain community, you're not for that community. You're not affirming that community. So... Um, and I think it's important to add to, well, well, this is so important to us, and we take so seriously the dire, perilous situation we're in. It's also a story-driven film. It is not an issue-driven film. It's entertaining. And I think the way, personally, as filmmakers, we think that you can change hearts and minds is through telling stories that people can relate to in whatever way. You know, we've all lost something that was dear to us. And I think you can feel those emotions and hopefully root for these people. When you're rooting for people, you, you, you forget your differences, and then it becomes hard to unforget them, if that makes sense, so that you're, you're suddenly more aware that these are people. Yeah, it was really our, our, our intention to, to, to present a very humanistic side to these people and, and, and for an audience, and not just uh, you know along the LGBTQ plus spectrum, but for all audiences to just pause for a moment, look at these people and really understand like they're not much different than your own family. They still have financial burdens. They still have health issues. Um, these are people too. They have rights and they should be treated with decency as should every family, whether you're talking about racism or socioeconomic spectrum, you know, these are people too. Well, to that point, we had our premiere last uh, week in L.A., which was super exciting. And the families were all there, which was a wonderful feeling. And my partner brought her Trump-supporting cousin, <laughs> who, and I, I was a little nervous. Not that, I thought, well, this will be interesting. And then I thought, you know, and she's lovely. They've, she and her husband have always embraced us, but yet they vote for someone who is often anti-LGBTQ. So how do you reconcile those two things? Well, afterwards, she told me, I watched, she said, I really, I love the stories. I love the film as a storytelling, you know, experience. And But she said, after that, I decided I need to think deeper about this community and I need to have more respect. And I thought that's the right order because ultimately you don't want to preach to the choir. You want to bring people in we're not opposed, but there's a disconnect, right? It's, I love you, but I'm still going to vote this way. He's mm -hmm. like, wait, 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 wait. You know, let's mm -hmm. try to reconcile 
Let's try to, and again, once, I wonder, once she's met these people, seen these people, how can you not think about them when you go to vote? Those issues become, uh, as David said, humanized. Yeah, and, and you know, we the, the, there's a point in the uh, Nebraska segment where uh, Mario Monte's neighbors are in for Trump, they're conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really important for Melinda and I to, to, to put that in there because I think, you know, we're at such a political divide in this country right now that it offers a glimmer of hope that regardless of which president you have voted for, you can still be respectful of one another and hang out with one another. And I, and I think that so many people do not... Um, are either one side or the other, and there's absolutely no gray. Yeah. And, you know, we are presenting a little bit of gray in here for people to be like, oh, okay, you know what? Yeah, there's two guys together, but that's okay, you know, or two women together. It's like, it. It. we want to say, this is not an issue. These are lovely, as Melissa said, bring on a humanistic approach to these people. <laughs> I really did appreciate the fact that, like, you highlighted that story specifically without really feeling like there was an agenda. It's interesting to see those different stories, and I think that you very much presented a lot of these kind of different stories with these couples because you not only show, you know, a, a, a gay men um, who are a couple, you show um, a, a trans person who is with a, a queer woman, you show um, a, a lot of different kind of um, parts to the LGBTQ plus community, and that's it's very interesting. Thank you. I mean, that was that was very important for us to to, to present a diverse uh, subject matter of you know along the racial lines, socioeconomic, as as well as the whole LGBTQ plus spectrum. Is there any plan to do the South next? Because we would love we yeah we're in our region. To that. <laughs> we hope Hulu is listening. Yeah, <laughs> it would be amazing to see because. Like every region, just you know, I, I will be forwarding this podcast to Hulu. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, Craig, you can call as well. We take research on another region right now. It's, we're very excited. Okay, so yeah, yeah. We asked Art and the families in this film, you know, since we filmed, are, how do you, are you more fearful? Um, without hesitation, they said yes. It is getting, it is becoming a more perilous situation by the day. So unfortunately, it's it's not going away. We're, we are more fearful. So to take that and into other regions, and particularly with, the, and, with an election coming up, you know, it yeah. would be very interesting to sort of interviews and find out what, you know, what are the fears, what are they concerned with, and you know, we haven't yet, but we would love to find a uh, family that is a Trump supporter. Uh, and and really, yeah, you know, we we would love to do that. Um, I think telling you from all sides, like you have you have like the right for to do that, and I think that that would be so interesting still because the more and more of these stories, the more and more clear the image of this American family like becomes because you know I just went to the eye doctor today and I was thinking about one two one two I'm like it's kind of doing that as we go and so I would love to see other don't have a responsibility to show that as well but in an open-ended way I mean I, I appreciate that you said that that we didn't feel that there was a need for hard conclusions there are narrative there's a hopefully a strong narrative because we think that's what brings people into story and story is what 
it makes the world go round in many ways and has people, you know, makes people relate to what's going on. But the, again, the, the first goal is to engage people in a story and, and good stories. The second goal would be, yeah. hmm, it got me thinking. I don't think people change their minds like that. In my opinion, the way that you change minds is actually meeting someone that is of a different mind and you get to actually have a conversation with them about it. And sometimes when you don't have that opportunity, just hearing stories like the the couples that are featured in this documentary, I think goes a long way um, to open up some minds. So um, thank you so much to David and, and Melinda for, for joining us today. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed our interview with Melinda and David. And now it is time for our segment, Go On. This is the segment where one of us educates the other about interesting things in the culture, unearthing hidden gems and little known trivia from the world of entertainment. And Michael, you've brought the go on today. I do have our go on. I Mine is a bit more of a fun fact. I was, you know, maybe we'll end on a little bit of a light note of some fun trivia information for you. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. And... I was doing some research about the Midwest, looking into it, and yes, it's a huge, uh, huge agricultural export for the U.S. Mm-hmm. But my, in the vein of shopping, not necessarily exports, <laughs> we are going to talk about the Mall of America, which is, I know, okay, I yeah, perfect intro, do it, go on, yes, okay, I have been there, and I could talk about the Mall <laughs> of America all day long. I would love for you to go on. I have not been there, but I thought this was really interesting because. This is our first winter in Colorado, and it's already getting a little chilly. Um, And I'm like, but I know that there are places that get colder. So I looked this up in a typical Minnesota winter, like their average low, I want to say, or not, yeah, maybe average low, average temperature, uh, according to this St. Cloud University of, (laughs) no, it's from a a college there. So I, I trust it to some degree, but. They, uh, the average, like typical Minnesota winter averages around 12 degrees. It's cold. We are very sorry, Minnesota. Pretty cold. But bringing this back to the Mall of America, did you know that they do not have a central heating system? In the mall? I, yeah. No, I did not. I was there in the summer uh and I definitely did not. I mean, it was cold in the mall when i was there I, it doesn't say anything about like air conditioning they might have that but yeah the heating so the heat, mall is heated through skylights light fixtures Stop. light fixtures could you imagine like, i'm gonna stand out of the light and then uh the body heat of visitors so there's no Don't central stop it. there's no central heating system that's i mean obviously it must work i mean i feel like there would be riots and protests if, and i feel like this is this a, didn't work yeah i feel like this is a credible Oh, it probably totally works. I mean, you know how quickly it gets warm in a room when you fill it with people? Like an airplane. Think about you're sitting oh, yeah. on the tarmac and you're yeah. waiting for takeoff and there's no AC. Yeah, it gets warm quick. Yeah. We produce a lot of heat. I feel like this is a credible source because it's from the MidwestWanderer.com. So <laughs> I, they're going to know about the Midwest. I think they're the folks. But yeah, I thought I'd leave you with that little fun fact for our uh, our listeners on the how do they warm the Mall of America. <laughs> I want to go, but you know, well, we'll check if- it out one day. Anyone has been to the Mall of America that's in the wintertime? In the wintertime, let us know. Please comment on Instagram to us and let us know if uh, this fact is accurate and uh, how you feel walking around the mall in the winter because I'm very curious now. Well, thank you, Michael, for uh, 
for bringing that to our attention. Just a little fun fact for us all. And uh, thanks again to Melinda Merker and David Clayton Miller for joining us today on this episode of Matinee with Matt. Check out We Live Here, the Midwest, streaming on Hulu now. If you enjoy our show, don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe for more, and follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Matinee with Matt to stay updated on all things film, television, and pop culture. That's a wrap.